are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. This episode is brought to you by November Rain. Nothing lasts forever, and we both know hearts can change, and it's hard to hold a candle in the cold November rain. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Rootbound. I'm your host, Steve, and Rootbound is the podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. And each episode, I invite a guest who shares a plant that means something to them, and then I share with the guest a plant that means something to me, and through this process, we all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. Before we meet our guest today, I want to talk about succulents because our guest will be sharing a succulent plant with us today and i was thinking about that word and what does it really mean and some other things about it and just to cut right to the chase uh succulent um, as you probably understand uh it comes from a latin word that essentially means juicy uh so and that's because succulents are a kind of uh, plant mostly grown in dry climates that store water in specialized leaves or stems and therefore they are quite juicy so that is why they are called succulents and also on the topic of succulents i found this really great article by alisa bereznak in the ringer about the history of succulents and how they have become so popular in recent years and it's really fascinating it has to do with a drought in california and and perhaps their photogenic quality but the popularity of succulents really has gone through the roof. And if you, uh, if you don't have one or many in your home, you probably know someone who does. Oh, there you are. What a delightful little home office you've created for yourself. Thank you. Succulents and all. Hi, Adarsh. Welcome to Rootbound. Hello there, Steve. Lovely to be here. <laughs> Very good. I think we might have a hint. Uh, we might have a hint of what plant you're going to choose. Uh, is is that correct? Yeah, definitely. The plant I'm going to be discussing today is aloe. Wonderful. Um, we talked about aloe briefly in the episode. We were talking about agave because they look pretty similar, and we I, I learned they are related, but not maybe as related as we think. But anyway, why is aloe meaningful to you? I think I have a reason why, but maybe you want to share that with the audience and and maybe go deeper because I don't know the whole story. Indeed, yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm working on a community called Allo that's dedicated to climate action, a community that you're part of and, and we're privileged to host you. Uh, so Allo, uh, the startup is inspired in the name at least by uh, the plant I'm going to be talking about today, Aloe Vera. Um, and yeah, excited to talk more about both types of Allo with you. Wonderful. So yeah, let's maybe get into a little bit more. Let's talk about like, yeah, wh- wh- why... Why is your project, this community, called aloe, and what, what, and how is that related to the plant? Right. So aloe is uh, just a fun, funny way for us to say hello, as you may have noticed in the big in the <laughs> beginning. Uh, uh, and the project really started with uh, my co-founder and I, Sloni and I, recognizing during COP twenty six uh, that 
we were really frustrated with the lack of uh, climate action that was being taken at the high levels of businesses and governments. Uh, and we had this personal moment of reckoning in parallel where we looked a bit in the mirror and asked ourselves whether are we doing enough? Do we even know enough about the actions we're taking, what the impact is and so on? Uh, and the honest answer was no. Um, so Allo started as a pet project uh, to see how we ourselves could lower our environmental footprints, uh, become climate smarter and become more climate active. Uh, and as we spoke to more of our friends and people uh, in the Gen Z community, and you know, for all of us, it's really an existential crisis. Um, and as we spoke to more folks discussing how they are combating this existential crisis, we realized that sustainability at the heart of it is, is really a difficult problem. Um, it can be lonely, it can be stressful, it's complicated, it's overwhelming, it's all of the above. Uh, mm -hmm. And Allo now, it really flips that around and it makes sustainability easy, accessible and fun. Uh, so we are a community that's dedicated to climate engagement and action. Uh, and there are two key pillars to this. Uh, we're starting with the community-led experience. So environmental action is much more powerful when done as a community. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also a lot to learn from each other. Uh, but more importantly, it's about inspiring and collaborating with one another in, in the context of climate action. Um, so on Allo, we have climate forums, challenges that allow people to learn about how they can take climate actions and then share their accomplishments and statistics with their uh, friends. Very cool. Yeah, I, that's very well said. I just, I just kind of got on Allo just the other day, and, and yeah. it's already pretty fun to kind of like communicate with people who who have similar passions. And uh, it, yeah, so it's a lot of fun. So before we maybe get into the plant, maybe just one more question: What mm -hmm. was that moment when you decided, hey, we're going to name our project after a plant? It really, it was, uh, I would say, somewhat coincidental. We wanted a, a name uh, that made sustainability seem approachable. Uh, it's sort of like that iconic uh, Steve Jobs moment where he wanted the computer to say hello. And we were, mm -hmm. we were thinking, well, what could we name our uh, startup that, that sort of gave this impression of sustainability being welcoming, it being easy and accessible? And the closest thing we can think of in, in terms of hello was Allo. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, aloe vera has so many connotations in terms of its healing properties and so on, which we'll dig into further. Uh, and so we thought of aloe, it was probably the quickest decision we made in, in sort of the history of aloe or the brief history of aloe. So that's, cool. that's a bit of the uh, etymology of aloe, the startup, if you will. Very, very good. I, I think there's some other things I've thought about that I think will fit more when we start talking about the plant itself. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, let's get into it. Do you have some fun facts or dazzling details about aloe? Yes. Uh, so the first fun fact is that aloe is a succulent. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's probably the most popular succulent out there. Uh, and for anyone who thinks otherwise, I challenge them to name a more <laughs> popular one. Uh, I know you did an episode on cacti. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so there's often this confusion when it comes to cactus and succulent, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so another sub fact, fun fact, if you will, is that, uh, is that cacti are succulents, but not all succulents are cacti. And uh -huh, yeah. Yeah, and so aloe vera is a case in point. It's not a cactus, but it is a uh, succulent. It's part of the, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Asphodelicea family, uh, and it's not part of the Cactacea or the cactus family. Very interesting. Now, uh, I think I have an idea of this, so maybe we can bounce back and forth a little bit, but do you happen to know the definition of that word succulent? I mean, 
uh, you know, we know what the word succulent means when it comes to like food or something, but like for plants, like what, uh, for the audience, what does that mean? Yeah, so my understanding is that succulents are essentially plants with thick, fleshy, engorged parts. Uh, their main feature or characteristic is their ability to retain water. Uh, and they're often found in arid regions because of mm-hmm. that. Um, I'm not sure if that is quite the definition or if that's more like the central characteristics of succulents. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's right. My understanding is that they have that ability to store water in their stem, their mm-hmm. specialized stems, right? Um, yep. And that's what makes them a succulent. And, and yes, cacti do that, but lots of other plants um, do that, like aloe. So uh, very interesting. Um, yeah, so let's... Um, well, well, I I guess that actually leads me to thinking about, you know, when you're thinking about climate and why aloe is a perfect plant to talk about climate is because it is a plant that is uh, is resilient. Yes, it can indeed. live in extreme environments. And uh, and so I think that's a nice, a nice little metaphor there for talking about climate resilience. Definitely. Uh, and, and part of the coincidence of, of calling ourselves aloe, uh, completely agree. And, and to that point, right, uh, sort of, I, w- I want to dig a deeper, a little deeper into some of the physical features of aloe, you, you know, related to what you mentioned about succulents, uh, and how they sort of store water, and they're really efficient with their water. Uh, you know, aloe stores a bulk of its water, essentially in its leaves, um, mm-hmm. And it's part of the super famous uh, aloe gel that's used, aloe vera gel that's used uh, for for so many sort of moisturizers and other sort of skin uh, regimens. Uh, and so the the leaf of the of the aloe uh, aloe vera plant uh, is thick, it's fleshy, it's green colored, and there are really three big parts to it, right? So one the on the outer side you have the rind, uh, mm-hmm. then you have the yellow latex a bit in the middle. And then the bulk of the leaf is the the inner part is really uh, the aloe vera gel, uh, which like ninety nine percent of it is water, and the remaining are solids of two hundred different compounds and components like polysaccharides, vitamins like B twelve, amino acids, and so on, so on, which lend the gel a lot of its uh, immunological beneficial uh, properties. Wow, fascinating! Two over two hundred compounds, you said. Yeah, inside the yeah. gel. Yeah. So fascinating. Yeah, I thinking about that gel it is such an interesting thing. And oh man, and it's like 99% water, but it can still like have that form and like have so much stuff going on. It's very, very fascinating. Um, yeah, do you know any more details about like, I don't know, let's maybe talk about some of that, those uses maybe. Do you have, uh, I know I know some common ones. I mean, for me, it's like sunburn is a big one. Yep. Um, but I don't know, I'm actually not like a huge aloe head, so to speak. Uh, so yeah, I wonder if you have any other thoughts on how it's used. Yeah, so it's used for uh, skin issues or burns. Uh, it's it's also been used for uh, other uh, skin-based uh, ailments like psoriasis. Um, and and really, a lot of the those, as I, as I mentioned earlier, the the beneficial properties come from the compounds, the solids that exist in the aloe vera gel. Uh, besides the skin part of it, the other medicinal value is uh, we're seeing a lot of juices and uh, mm. you know uh, uh, other edible items containing aloe, and there there there's at least this notion that it's beneficial in the gastro area. Uh, mm-hmm. It can help with issues like constipation and so on. And so aloe vera juice is quite popular to address some you know any stomach related or gastro related issues one might have. Very, very interesting. Where, where is aloe 
native to? Where is it from? Yeah, uh, it's native to the Arab- Arabian Peninsula, so closer to the Oman uh, country. They're fascinating mountains there and that's uh that's where aloe can be traced back to uh and but now it's basically in all continents except for antarctica wow yeah it's a very widely cultivated uh plant yeah exactly and so in some regions it's it's sort of classified as an invasive species so certain Mm. types of aloe can be invasive so that's something to be a little careful with uh right but uh but yeah it to answer your question it's, it's from the arabian peninsula and digging a little deeper into the history of, of the plant, uh, I believe the first records of using aloe vera for sort of its beneficial properties comes from the Egyptians. Uh, in fact, the Egyptians termed aloe vera as the plant of immortality. Um, and at least judging by some of the blog posts I was reading about the plant, the first written reports of uh, it go as far back as 6,000 years ago. Uh, some of the more legit ones I've seen have said that it's uh, it go back around uh, 2000 BC. Uh, and it was used by Egyptian queens like uh, Cleopatra uh, and Nefertiti. So, uh, wow. re- yeah, yeah, for their sort of daily skincare routine. Amazing. I mean, yeah. that's, that's some uh, really old school skincare stuff and still like very, very uh, popular. That's really cool. Um, do you have any other fun facts or dazzling details about aloe vera? Yeah, so we spoke about the sort of etymology of aloe, uh, the Climate Action app. Uh, I want to dig a little deeper into the etymology uh, of aloe vera. Awesome! Uh, I love that. I love the etymology of the la- of the like scientific names of things. So. Yeah, yeah. So let's start with the second part of the name, uh, vera, uh, which it's p- not not too hard to guess it, it, it sort of means uh truth or uh you know genuine and i guess if you are familiar with the term like veracity which means accuracy it sort of makes sense it sort of adds yeah, up yeah okay right? why, do you know why it got that name i guess i mean like why is it a truthful plant i'm honestly not that's a great <laughs> question <laughs> yeah no, uh, no worries um, not quite sure about that one. Or maybe it is the true aloe. Maybe there's some other aloes they they uh, yeah they don't consider the true one. Maybe I don't know. Just speculating. I I'm never afraid to tell the audience to Google it. Um, if we don't know an answer, that's that's very uh, yeah f- fair. And then yes, the aloe part. What what does that mean? Yeah, maybe when they asked for the real aloe to stand up, it was aloe vera that stood up, and yeah. or this specific, and they call it aloe vera. Uh, with aloe, there's a bit more uncertainty around where aloe originates from and what it means. Um, so some articles I looked up said it's not clear what it means. And then another one I read mentioned that it derives from the Arabic word aloe. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, which means shining bitter substance, which sort of makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but the uh, as uh, but the as we explored earlier, uh, aloe for us at aloe is just a more fun way to say aloe uh, or hello. Um, so so there you go. Hello. Did you say hello? No, I said hello, but that's close enough. Well, wonderful. Yeah. So thank you for sharing about uh, aloe. Do you do you mind if I share a plant with you? Of course. Yeah, I'd love to le- learn more. So yeah, this this uh, it's uh, 
it's always it's always like what plant I'm going to choose, and sometimes I try to pick something that's going to match what we're talking about. But I didn't do that in this case. I was just thinking about what plants grow in my garden, and, and this is a plant that I didn't purposely grow in my garden. I have a lot of plants that that are that are maybe quote unquote weeds, which we talk about on the show a lot of. Really, what is the definition of a weed? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a plant where I was uh, I was like, this was maybe three years ago or so. I was out in my yard, and I saw this little tiny bush, maybe like, well, not even a bush, a little tiny plant. It was maybe less than a foot tall, and it looked like it had, it, it was like, are those little cherry tomatoes popping up in my garden? And so I started looking closer, and this is, um, I think, the first kind of maybe lesson from this plant is the importance of really learning how to ID a plant. Because mm-hmm. they did look like little cherry tomatoes, but as I found out, I didn't take, I didn't eat any. Just to put that <laughs> out there. I used an app and I did some research and found out that it's a plant called Carolina horse nettle, okay. which is Solanum carolinens- carolinensis. Uh, and though related to the tomato, it is poisonous. So, right. <laughs> and it does, they do look like just little beautiful green cherry tomatoes and they, they lay out and, uh, um, I don't know if you've heard of this plant before. Um, but, uh, I have never heard of the name. Yeah. Um, it's pretty common in like, uh, disturbed areas. It's, it grows really well in, in, in a lot of different places and it's kind of all over. I think maybe, uh, it's maybe a bit more in the South. I don't think it grows maybe as far North as you are up in Chicago. Um, but right. I could, I could be wrong. Um, it, it's called horse nettle. I couldn't actually figure out why it's called horse nettle. I think it's because there's cases where horses have eaten it and actually gotten sick, perhaps. Um, but the nettle is related to the... It comes from that plant that are called the nettles in Europe, which which are stinging. And this is not a nettle, but it does okay. have prickles. It does have th- uh, thorns or prickles. So that's another thing. When I first saw it, I saw, I saw the little tomato shape. And I was like, those look exactly like tomatoes, and they really do. But yeah. then I saw the leaf, and the leaf has a little bit more of like an oaky oak leaf shape, so right. the little multi lobes, and it had all these these like prickles. And I'm like, oh, tomatoes leaves don't look like that, and they don't ha- definitely don't have these thorns. So um, that's when I, I googled it and found out um, what it is. That's awesome. Is this still growing in your uh, backyard? Yeah, it's in my front yard. It grows mostly under my peach tree, and um, this is one of the things where like I. When something pops up in my garden and I don't know what it is, I tend to just let it let it grow and see yeah. what it is. I want to know what it is. Right. Um, and in this case, it was a pleasant surprise because this is a plant that is it is native to this area. And mm-hmm. and although it doesn't have really, I guess there are some documented medicinal uses. Even though I would caution the audience to ne- definitely not experiment with that because it is it mm-hmm. uh, it is toxic. Um, it is native and. I have a quote um, here that I found. I'm actually missing the website it was from, but it said, at least 32 insects alone in Virginia have been documented feeding on this plant. Wow. Okay. So this is a plant, you know, it's not for us. It's yeah. for, you know, wildlife. It's for other, you know, native things. And, you know, there's many people who consider this a noxious weed and do everything they can to try to get rid of it. Right. And I always wonder if, like, what is the, the wisdom in getting rid of a plant, particularly a plant that is native. There's lots of invasive species. We talked about that a couple episodes ago, about invasive mm-hmm. species. And even some invasive species, the question of like what their role is is is, is more complicated than sometimes we give it. But mm-hmm. definitely treating, I think, a native plant as a noxious weed and calling it noxious, um, I think requires a little bit of a readjustment of the way we think about plants. So 
I don't yeah. I don't want it to take over, but three or four years in, it hasn't it hasn't really done spread that much and and right. become troublesome. And I I'll end up you know mowing sometimes when it's coming up in smaller stuff because I have some small patches I need to mow. But more or less, I let it do its thing. Um, and uh, I when you know whatever whatever animals like to eat it, really love to eat it. I I completely agree with with the point you're making which is sometimes i i think we let our we let the utility of the plant dictate too much of our decisions yeah uh and you know determining whether it should stay or, or go or uh whether we should sort of buy it and import it and so on and and often i think we forget that native plants are the reason they're native to an area over like thousands of years is largely because of functions like evolution and like finding the right balance right uh, and so I, I, I completely agree that we should be a bit more respectful of the things we are looking to destroy, or remove, uh, do our research first, and then decide whether, okay, th- should this truly even go, uh, particularly because of the problem that we often encounter with uh, the loss of balance between invasive spe- species and native plants and native yeah. species, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, one example, and I don't know if this is directly related to the Carolina horse nettle, I have quite a, um, I've mentioned a few few episodes that my uh, my yard is ha- can look like sometimes a, a mildly controlled meadow. I have I have some stuff that's planted, but I do leave a lot of things that are, like, growing right. naturally. Um, but uh, it is very clear to me that the birds in my neighborhood like our yard more than almost any other neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> and you know because you know maybe there's a plant like horse nettle that's attracting 32 different kinds of native insects that yeah. birds are probably very happy exactly. to come have that amongst other plants that i have like that that have, that are often treated as weeds that are not but they're native so um i so yeah i think i think it's a cool plant it looks really cool you know just the warning just because you see something that looks like a tomato out there mm-hmm. um don't eat it uh, and that's because so it it is um it is in the nightshade family, which tomatoes are nightshades, right. potatoes are nightshades. There are, are several uh, edible things in the nightshades, but the vast majority of nightshades mm-hmm. are poisonous. And that, that name nightshade actually comes from its like ability to put you to sleep. And there's like classic stories of like there's a European nightshade, which is I think the original name that is used as like a sleeping poison or even a, a, a you know murder poison. Uh, wow. um, and it's because they have this um, compound called solanine in them. Right. Um, and that's the, the compound and it's a pretty com- complicated, I guess it's mechanism of for how it like injures you. Um, but even tomatoes have small amounts of solanine in them. Um, so that's, I found that pretty interesting. That, that, well, maybe next time I, I'm feeling a little, like, you know, unable to sleep, maybe I'll just uh, have a bit of, uh, <laughs> tomato juice or something. <laughs> yeah. The, the other, other one little, this is not a potato episode, but the one thing just comes up when we're talking about solanine is that often plants that are in the nightshade family will produce solanine when they are feeling stressed or some kind of attack. So mm-hmm. like the, the solanine is an anti, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, it's an it's an insecticide for them. They use it to protect themselves of being like eaten by either uh, insects or 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 um, or you know herbivores. Um, and so, if 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 a plant that in the nightshade family is getting some kind of stress, it may react by increasing its levels of solanine. And one way that can happen in your kitchen, uh, and like I said, this is not directly related to horse nettle, but talking about solanine, is that if you have potatoes and they're not in the dark the light is a stressor to the potato tuber and 
the potato can create solanin and you can actually, your potatoes can become toxic if they're not stored in a dark situation. So be aware of that. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Solanine, solanin. I don't know about the pronunciation. I think it's solanine. Uh, Yeah. And it comes, that comes from a Latin word. In fact, the, the, the genius of, of the Carolina horse nettle is solanum carolinin. So it's from Carolina, but it's a solanum. And that word solanum or solanine, it comes from a Latin word meaning quieting. So it like, I guess if you eat too much of it, you just start to like fade out. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, the point that you mentioned about protecting itself from sort of herbivores reminds me that aloe vera as a, as a plant uh, also has these tendencies to uh, repel or at least not attract uh, certain types of insects, uh, mm. right? So it's it's not maybe as potent as I, I think like eucalyptus in terms of warding away different types of insects, um, but it is pretty effective relative to other plants uh, for some reason or another. And that's something I, I probably should explore a bit more as well. But I, I do know that aloe vera, aloe vera uh, has some sort of properties or characteristics that that keeps sort of some insects at bay. Yeah, you know that's really interesting. I, I I'm trying to I think where I heard this was this guy on Instagram who goes by Country Gentleman Cooks, and he's got lots of great plant information. I think it's him. If it was someone else, apologies. I'll link in the show notes. Um, But he mentioned, and it really clicked home to me, he mentioned that every plant, Mm -hmm. no plant wants its leaves to be eaten, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And so all plants have developed some kind of mechanisms to prevent that from happening, right? Because the leaves are how they get their energy. And sometimes we're, as humans, have been able to like exploit those characteristics because sometimes they're not so bad and we've also been able to selectively breed plants like lettuce doesn't exist in the wild Mm -hmm. we have selectively bred it to not have bitter leaves um but in and in in general i think you know before lots of cultivation of leafy greens existed leafy greens were cooked because so many of those um those leafy greens uh did have stuff that wasn't very digestible. And so cooking is a way to like get around that. So I think that's interesting with these two plants, they, uh, aloe and, and Carolina horse nettle, they do have these strategies to prevent their like powerhouse from being eaten, which is, you know, yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. That's super fascinating. And uh, I mean, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but, uh, I love tangents. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) That reminds me of the eucalyptus also is like, I think it does really well in terms of wadding away its leaves from being eaten because it can be quite toxic, right? Mm-hmm. And in fact, like eucalyptus oil has been used to ward off mosquitoes and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but the it's it's interesting how the balance of ecosystems work because you have these adaptations that trees and plants take to uh, ward off herbivore, herbivores and just survive. But then you also have these counter strategies. So for example, I believe the only animal or being and i could be wrong but i uh at least one of the very very few that can actually consume eucalyptus leaves are koalas oh yeah right yeah Yeah, and that's the entire sort of survival strategy is to eat eucalyptus leaves um and sleep for 20 hours because it's it's really (laughs) difficult to digest eucalyptus leaves and also the thing is if you eat just your most of your diet is eucalyptus leaves you also taste pretty bad yourself so oh sure you know you're not uh-huh. the pre- predators aren't as interested in you humans aren't as necessarily interested in you eating you either and nobody um, to compete with your meals for either exactly yeah. exactly so you take this big hit of yeah, we, we actually have several episodes of a friend who was on the show who is a uh, super into animal facts and she talked about that a little bit and um it uh the um 
koalas have a special like uh, bacteria in their gut that can help them mm-hmm. break down the toxins. But uh, yeah, it's such a funny strategy, but it, it works. I mean, they have to be really slow and not move that much because they don't get very much energy from it at all. Exactly. But they have zero competition for food. So yeah, very interesting. Um, yeah. And I think maybe some of these plants, you know, some of these insects that are eating the horse nettle are pr- probably similar. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's a toxic plant, but they mm-hmm. have this, if being able to consume it gives gives you an advantage, at least in certain times, you know. Indeed. And, and like two sort of small facts related to that is with the koalas is obviously it's sad because they've been declared mathematically to be functionally extinct, which mm-hmm. means eventually, you know, they're just not reproducing enough to offset the loss of uh, koalas, uh, especially with, you know, wildfires yeah, and, and yeah. all that happening with greater frequency. But the other aspect with koalas is there's different species or subspecies of eucalyptus, right? So when they latch on to a certain sort of specific um, species or type of eucalyptus tree, rather, they're not going to let it go. So if they find something else that, that doesn't quite taste right, they would rather just not eat and perish instead oh, of wow. switching to like a slightly different diet. So that's another fun fact just related to this whole tangential yeah, conversation yeah, yeah. I want to throw out there. Very, very interesting. Um, well, uh, that's it's a fun thing of this podcast where you can start off talking about um, yeah. social networks and end on koalas uh, and, <laughs> and go go through various plants and stuff all along the process. So that's very great. And yeah, thank you for joining on this episode of Rootbound. Lovely to be here. Steve, I would be remiss if I didn't mention two things before sure, I go, please. Uh, which is... Uh, firstly, I love your voice. Uh, you have <laughs> like a you. voice of God uh, sort of aesthetic. Oh, and wow. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the fake ads y'all do. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's genius that the most annoying part of the podcast listening experience has been turned on its head and been made into something so humorous. So um, I just wanted to mention that I love your podcast and those two things in particular for me really stand out. So it was an honor being here. And thank you so much for having me sharing a bit more about aloe vera and sharing a bit more about aloe. Well, thank you for, thank you for joining me. And yes, I, I, uh, I don't know when, but there will be an aloe fake ad at some point uh, in the future. Looking forward to it. Okay, here at the end of the show, I have to talk about dinosaurs from space. Bear with me. Uh, after talking with Adursh about aloe, I had this like image in my brain of a dinosaur named aloe and i had this very very nostalgic feeling and so i had to like try to google what i was thinking about and there was this one particular moment of a cartoon that just popped into my brain after talking with a dursh and and it was about this dinosaur named aloe now this dinosaur i have found out through googling now he he wasn't called aloe his name wasn't spelled the same. It wasn't A-L-O-E. It was A-L-L-O because he was an Allosaurus. And he was the main character in a cartoon from the 80s that apparently I watched called Dino Saucers. I guess that some writers thought that, you know, dinosaur and saucer sounded similar. And so, yes, they're dinosaurs from space. The main dinosaur was named Allo. And this moment that popped into my brain when speaking about the plant, was this moment uh, where Aloe goes back to his home planet and he goes home to visit his wife. And I'll just let that scene play out for you now. Aloe! Vera! Yes, 
there was a little pun in there that the wife's name was Vera. So I think the writers wrote it just so that they could say aloe vera. And I remember as a kid going, oh, I got that joke. Uh, so anyway, that was something I wanted to share with you. Completely unplant related, except for a little plant pun in the 1980s cartoon about dinosaurs from space. Used to be four ordinary teenagers. Until one day, we met some new friends from out of town. They were called Dinosaucers. My friends and I became the secret scouts, allies to these dinosaurs from outer space, and joined in their battles against Genghis Rex and the evil Tyrannos. The dinosaurs are leaving, Bossasaur! Well, follow them! My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Adorsh Kumar. Adorsh is the co-founder of Allo, the app, not the plant. Allo is a community-led marketplace dedicated to climate action. You can sign up at allo.circle.so. If you like listening to Rootbound and you want to help it keep going, you can learn ways to support the show at rootboundpodcast.com support. Rootbound is hosted by Steve Ellington, ally to the dinosaurs from outer space. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, find a little succulent and tell it, Allo. Do you need some time on your own? Do you need some time all alone? Try November rain. November rain. It's November rain.